0: Who's been here the last three or four weeks? We've we've been pretty uh, aerobic, pretty calisthenic, right? We've done a lot of motions. Mark, settle down. I'm not going to make you do them. Uh, But we've been talking about these things that Jesus has been talking about as he opens what we know in our scriptures to be the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5. As Matthew collects what was probably a much longer sermon, as he collects the things that Jesus says there in his gospel, he starts with these eight blessings, We've learned that uh, blessing means what? Approved. Thank you for coming to church this morning. That was close. Anyway, uh, it means approved of. These are the uh, God-approved ways or, or things in life. And, and, and it, it starts with this. He says, blessed are you or approved are you if you understand that you're poor in spirit, that you don't have anything to bring to this relationship with God other than your sinful brokenness, and by his grace, he does all the work for us through Christ. He says, secondly, blessed are those who are of you who mourn. And he's talking there specifically about us mourning over the effects of sin in our world, in our own lives. We, we hate sin. We want to come against sin. It's visceral for us. Blessed are you if that's your attitude towards sin. Uh, blessed are you if you're meek, Remember, meek is being in a position of strength and choosing it not. It's deferring to others and mostly to God and most importantly to God. Uh, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about that and how this life uh, should be, uh, you know, just pointed in the direction. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you, Jesus says later in this very sermon. Travis uh, sat us down and, and talked to us about the blessing that is uh, being merciful in life. We get to be like God, who is merciful to us when we are merciful to each other. Blessed are the pure in heart. Again, the pure in heart are the ones who see God. When we live in purity, when we live like him, we, we get to see him work in us, through us, around us. We get to see him in ways that we don't when we're not pure as he is pure. Last week we talked about blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the and, uh, and we talked about how important it is for us to be agents of shalom. We're, we're in the world to bring God's peace, His, his wholeness, the, the completion that He hopes for uh, the, the lives that we live and the lives of those around us. And, and then lastly, we, we had this strange blessing. It's actually repeated twice, it's the only blessing that gets two runs. Because Jesus finishes His list and He says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted for they're the ones who see the kingdom of heaven. He says it twice because I'm I'm guessing the people listening to him are like, could you repeat? Because the whole reason I came up on this mountain was to escape persecution, to hopefully find uh, in you the Messiah, the leader who would rescue me from Roman oppression and all my other problems. And and, and I wasn't expecting to be promised persecution. In fact, that kind of makes me wonder if I want to Stick around. Can you say that again? He says, "Yeah, I'll say it to you again. Blessed are you when you're reviled for my name's sake." I don't know if you've ever been, you know, uh, introduced to an opportunity that seems too good to be true. Anybody ever had that one? You know, you clicked on that link hoping maybe this is how I'll get rich, right? And then you find out now this is just another one of those scams, another one of those schemes. Hopefully you've never sent money to the prince in Nigeria, right? Um, because, you know, th- those, those are disappointing opportunities. And, and for those who are sitting there listening to Jesus, they were probably, you know, having heard him before, seen some of his miracles, been like, yes, we're going to hang out with the carpenter from Nazareth all day. It's going to be awesome. And then he gets to this part of his sermon. He says, now, you know what the, the blessed life is, the approved life? is a life that gets persecuted for my name's sake. Now thankfully Jesus doesn't leave us there. And even though he's done with his eight blessings, he's gonna go on in the next few verses, the verses 13 through 16 in Matthew five where we're gonna be today. And he's gonna explain why it's so important not only that you live the blessed life, those first seven things, but also that you, uh, you know, persevere through the persecution that's gonna come as a result of you living those things. It's all important, why? because God in his perfect will, his sovereign will, has chosen to make himself known to the world through those who have put their faith in Jesus and follow him. Put another way, Christians are the hope of the world. Now that is a weighty statement. Everybody gets how big that is, right? Because we have all kinds of hopes, financial hopes, health hopes, Um, you know peace and and prosperity hopes whatever we you know want to but 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 when jesus comes to this ragtag bunch of early adapters these early ends in his follow right he looks at them and he says two statements to them he says you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world not some higher class, some, some Mensa group that's going to, you know, influence politics and, and shape, you know, governments and cultures. He looks at a bunch of, 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 you know, nomads, Bedouins, people who, you know, were just common town folk there in Galilee. And he, he looks at him and he says, you, you're the salt. You're the hope. We love, we, anybody ever call someone, that guy's the salt of the earth. Anybody ever said that? You're, you're ripping off Jesus. Uh, he means way more than that's a good dude. He's basically saying what I I just told you. He's saying, hey, you who follow me, who will later be called Christians, you're the hope of the world. You're the salt of the earth, the light for those who are in darkness. Kind of rendered in its simplest forms, Uh, Christians are meant to be salty and shiny. I grew up in a day uh, when uh, beer was sold through a chant. Tastes great, less filling. Who remembers? I thought maybe we'd reproduce that, not the beer chant. But this side of the room, when I hold this up, you're going to say salty. This side of the room, when I hold this up, you're going to say shiny. You ready? Salty, shiny, salty, shiny. Like you mean it. Nice. Wasn't that fun? Some of you want a beer now. Anyway, that's uh, okay. Simple, uh, simple message today. It's only four verses, but there's two huge statements made in them. Jesus says that you're the salt, you're the light. He tells his followers then and his followers today. If that's you, I'm talking right at you. Pass the salt and stay salty. Shine the light and stay lit. Not like the kids are saying these days, but stay on fire for him. Let's talk about passing the salt first. He says this in verse 13. I've already said it a bunch. Let me say it one more time. Jesus looks at his, his crowd and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He, he, he actually arranges his sentence here in the Greek, uh, as, as Matthew you know, remembers it, uh, with very emphatic placement of the word you, which in Greek means that we're saying you and you alone. You're it, Christians. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. Now, In these six words that open this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us all that we need to know about who we are, who have been called in his name, and about the world that we live in that he's called us to. Let's start with the world. When he says that you are the salt, he is making this very pointed implication about the world. The world is in decay popped the cork on the use of salt back in those days. Uh, it wasn't so that you could, you know, season your pommes de frites or whatever you're getting at a restaurant. Salt's primary use back then was to keep meat from putrefying. Uh, no refrigerators, no freezers, no other chemical additives to, you know, make a Twinkie last for 30 years, right? I got one of those in my office. We're going to find out. Anyway, uh... But back then, if you wanted to preserve something from decaying, you'd rub salt in it. Everything was jerky. If if you got wounded back then, they didn't have the litany of treatments that we have now, but they had salt, and they knew that even though it stung, this was the best thing to surround your wound with. Jesus is teaching in a world where things like leprosy are common, and what he's saying, even though salt wasn't a treatment for leprosy, is he's saying, listen, the world that you live in is dying and in decay. It is wracked by the effects of sin. If you have your Bibles and you want to read that story one more time, it's like two pages in. For two chapters, everything's great. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything dies. Because sin comes into the world. And sin's effect on everything, us and everything in the world, is decay. It starts rotting things, not just physically, but spiritually. And so Jesus comes to be our salt, and we are prescribed, prescripted into his army to be spreaders of his message, to be the salt that a dying and decaying world needs. Some would argue that our world's just getting better. I can see how you could say that in some cases, right? Like there's been advances, even we used to talk about the last 100 years, shoot, it's going so fast now, it's like the last 10 years, right? So many things are going so fast and developing so quickly. Some of the big ones that people like to throw out are like uh, you know, the developments in our ability to harness power. The big one you know, some 50 years ago was nuclear power. You know, we'll be able to you know, light entire cities but here, here's what I'm even as we talk about the developments that man has come up with, can we all agree that they all have kind of a dark side to them? I grew up uh, in an era where as a, as a 10 or 11 year old, I, I, I watched the news and it was Dan Rather or Walter Cronk. Anyway, there, just all the youngers, there used to be three channels, four if you count PBS, which I didn't count because whatever. Anyway, uh, but you, you know everybody would gather around their TVs at night instead of scrolling on their phones for their news you'd actually have to listen to one of the three guys who gave it. And I remember one night listening to the news and someone said Three Mile Island. If you haven't had that in history, there were these nuclear reactors in Pennsylvania that basically melted down, it was a huge problem. Uh, And if you've ever heard of Chernobyl, uh, that was the, the, the greater disaster that Three Mile Island could have been. I don't need to tell anybody that World War II ended because Oppenheimer and his guys figured out a way to take nuclear uh, science and apply it to a bomb. And we dropped two of them in Japan. And some can say, good, we ended the war. Others might say, bad, we started another one. It was called the Cold War. And it still exists today. We got madmen leading countries with nuclear weapons in them. Everybody gets that? So without belaboring this, all of our advancements have been tainted by our sin. All the lights that we have shined into our world have these dark sides to them. When we talk about medicine, we've made huge advances in the diseases that we could treat, but we've also, depending on which website you consult, are able to create new diseases that can send a world inside for a year and a half. We have the internet, people love to talk about that. Can I give you the, the bright side, the, the happy news of the internet? You can get whatever you want in an instant. In an instant. You know what? You want to hear the the bad side of the internet? You can get whatever you want in an instant. Social media connects people. Social media has done more to contribute to the mental, uh, you know, angst and, and anxiety of our culture than anything else in recent history. Users beware. We've always lived in a world since sin came into the world of disinformation. That's how sin started. Satan told a bunch of lies. But now we live in a world where disinformation, misinformation is at a, at a click, at a swipe, at a, I mean, I'm not going to litigate the internet this morning. But can we just agree that all of our advancements, here's what I think about our advancements. Sure, they've made some parts of life easier, but they haven't dulled the decay In my opinion, they've only served to magnify it. And so I come back again to this statement that Jesus makes. Hey, man, you're the salt. Church, Christians, you're the salt. We're not going to figure it out with technology or developments. The world's going to stay broken until Jesus comes back. And until he comes back, the world needs to hear of their need of him through you, the salt of the earth. People talk about my sole purpose in existence, and then they list off something that isn't really their sole purpose. Can I give you your salt purpose? My salt purpose in life is to highlight and fight decay. To highlight and to fight decay. Here's what I mean by highlight. I mean that you and I live in such a way, living out those seven blessings that we've been studying all month, We live in such a way that when we get around the things that are experiencing the decay that sin causes, it's obvious to the one who's experiencing it, to everybody around, that this is what the life is really about, what life really centers on, and this is what it's not about. I I eat strawberries now. I've tried to move away from donuts. Recently, they've been creeping back in my life, I'll confess. But when I'm doing things right, I'm eating fruits and vegetables and clean meats and not fried and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I've really, over the last, you know, COVID, uh, started getting into strawberries. And I uh, love them when they're in season. Thank you, Plant City and other places that produce them so well. Uh, but strawberries go out of season here and you gotta get them from like California and some places in Mexico and stuff like that. And they're not quite as fresh. Has anybody been in the produce department during those particular parts of our calendar? Yeah, you have to take, I'm glad they're in those see-through shells, right, those plastic containers because you can kind of flip it around and see what you got. But invariably, I'll buy some strawberries and eat donuts instead, and then I'll get back to my strawberries, and it'll be three or four days past, and now what's happening inside? Decay. And so you open that thing up, and you're like, okay, that's a good, oh, that is not a good strawberry. And if you hold them up next to each other, good, not good. If your strawberry has fur on it, don't eat it. Not for you or your kids, right? So you pick and pluck through the good thing. And and, and essentially what what Jesus is saying to his his followers is, I want you to live in such a way that the decay is is noticeable in the world around you. I want you to be a catalyst, a change agent. I want want the decay to be highlighted by your presence. I have an automatic uh, built-in thing for that in my life. I have... An actual professional title that changes the temperature of every conversation once it comes out. Like when I'm I'm hanging out with someone from here who is taking me into his world with his friends. Um, th- th- his friends will greet them like they always greet him. F in this, F in you, F and F. And it's amazing how many times people can use that and and uh, and you know use and they just call them names and all these things. Who's your friend? This is my pastor. Deer in the headlights, it is awesome. My favorite story about that—I've told it before—but I, I go golfing sometimes. I get hooked up with other guys, and this one time, I was the fourth of a, of a, of a three-man group. I got the—I was the fourth guy in. We played nine holes. This one guy—I mean, have you ever seen like someone that like, man, you're tipping the scale here? Like he cussed about everything through clubs, told dirty jokes. I mean, it was just it was like, hey, cowboy, slow down. I mean, it's just the front nine, right? And we get to the 10th hole, which is the turn, and he turns to me finally, and what's he say? What do you, what do, you do for a living, and what do I say? Well, I'm a pastor at a church down the street. This guy turns to me. It's my favorite. He turns to me and says, oh, you're kidding. I'm a deacon at such and such Baptist. And I'm like, I need your phone number to your pastor then. Cause I'm gonna rat you out, you. Anyway, uh, are you kidding me? No, he wasn't. He was actually very, very unaware of his role as salt, because he wasn't making a difference. Yeah, I'd, I'd confer the title pastor on you just for a week, so you could experience. But so anywhere you went, someone would introduce you as Pastor Seth, and you just see how it changes, right? Lean in. You know what I really hope? I hope that the way you live your life is so out loud for Jesus, so in line with Jesus, that you don't need a professional title to make people nervous. They just are. They know you, and they know that when you're around, we don't talk like that, act like that, say those things, do those things. We don't cheat on the job, we don't slack. Christians should be the ultimate in our society. The, the people that, not, not, you know, pious and cocky, and, but just humbly living rightly in such a way that it changes the temperature of relationships. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go to school tomorrow. You're going to hang out tonight in your neighborhoods. I'm asking you this. Do people know you love Jesus? Do they understand That there's something different about you. If that's never come up, you gotta ask yourself Am I salty enough in this life that God has given me? People who are salt are difference makers. They basically come to life and they say, Oh, we need a little salt here. Or this situation needs some salt. They're always ready. Jesus is always in hand. He's always at the fore. He's always at the front. And and if I'm needed, I'm I'm there. And I'm not just talking about sharing the, the gospel, which please, please do that. Does everybody know churches are in severe decline? Everywhere we go, churches are in decline. People are like, oh, here we go, just like Europe. You know how Europe lost its foothold in the culture? is Christians stopped being salt and light wherever they went. They kind of just put a lid on this thing, and they just said, well, we're just going to huddle up and hope. And they missed out on the, the opportunities that God had put them in to go out there and live for him and live like him and talk about him. I mean, I'm not just talking about sharing our faith. Sometimes salt is just helping your neighbor move, taking care of their kids, asking if you could pray before you have a meal together. I mean seek opportunities beyond that, but at least do that, right? It's got to be almost 10 years ago now I was standing in the corner and this young lady came up to me. She'd grown up in the neighborhood that we first lived in when we came to Brandon and and she you know she was a woman but you know all of a sudden just that's how it works over time. They grow and, up. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And she and my wife had shared a real special bond. And so I said, you got to go see Eleanor. She'd love to see you. And so Eleanor was making coffee out in our cafe. And, and they had a conversation apparently because Eleanor came up to me after the next service and said, hey, Chelsea's coming home. What I thought that was for was for lunch. What I found out that was for was for the next 11 months of our life. Chelsea became a part of our family. She'd been living in, you know, in uh, her car. Uh, she'd had everything of her, uh, of her own of value stolen. Her parents had both recently died. She was homeless. And uh, we hadn't prepared to house somebody, but we figured it out. And I'm not saying that everybody here today needs to go find a homeless person to adopt and bring into your home But I am saying that if the Holy Spirit prompts you to be salt in someone's life that way, get out of the way and let them use you. Be available and ready to be salt wherever it's necessary. Salt has those direct applications. Salt has more indirect applications, right? Sometimes it's not this big thing. It's just a little thing. My son, Ben, is, is asking big questions about God right now. Uh, I've talked about him a little bit. Um, uh, God has seen a fit to have him live in my house for the last half of this year. And, and it's led to some really great conversations. Thursday night, uh, our college and career group meets. And, and uh, I got to take Ben to college and career and hang out with some of his old friends and old high school leaders and stuff that was there. We sat through the worship. It was great to hear him sing. Even though he doesn't necessarily believe everything he's singing, you know he, he's a musician, so he loves to sing. and so we, we left before Bible study because that was going to be too weird for him. Um, but we sat and listen, we drove all the way home. we sat in the driveway of my house for 45 minutes, and we had our own personal little Bible study. And I, it wasn't on my schedule, it wasn't planned, I didn't have notes. but God had... Basically set up a time for us to sit and talk. and I would love to tell you that, you know, Ben came completely back on board with Jesus. In fact, he's here to finish the rest of this sermon. Come on out, Ben. I can't tell you, no, settle down. That's not happening. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? That'd be awesome. His mother and I, I trust some of you are praying for the day when that will happen. But here's the deal: Sometimes it's just multiple shakes until someone sees Jesus. And listen, here's the deal, You just some of you are wondering, how many times are you gonna do this? I don't know. By the way, if you're worried about bad luck, there's no such thing, can you all just relax? Everybody understands there's a sovereign God and reality, there's no such thing as luck, everybody gets that? But listen, I don't know how many times it's gonna take until God, and you don't know how many times it's gonna take in your life with someone for your shaking to make a difference in their hearts. Even if you're never the one who is shaking the salt and sees the change, you keep shaking. You keep bringing Jesus to the fore. You, you show the world around you who He is. It's who we've been called to be. Can I give you some salt tips? You're like, what have you been doing? Okay. Just so you know, saltiness, like Jesus has already told us, is going to cause some people to recoil. Like you ever, you know, seen the, uh, the, the rubbing alcohol come in when you've got a cut and your mom wants to clean it before she's going to wrap it up and all that stuff, and you're like, mm, right? And that feeling, mm, that, that's how you being a Christian is going to feel for some people in your life. They'll persecute you. Keep being salty. Because here's the deal, maybe not with everyone, but with a a lot of people, here's what being salty around them eventually causes. Thirst. We get that. We've been to the cinema. They just douse popcorn in some saline solution. Why? Because they want you to buy the vat of Coke, right? And get more sales if we can make these people thirsty. The same thing happens if we live out loud in front of people over time. Eventually, They'll uh, be like uh, one of those blessings that we just talked about. They'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the righteous one. Because we'll be uh, drawing them into that as we live for Jesus in front of them. I love the stories in the scripture that kind of affirm this, like even in the, uh, the, the, the telling of the story of Athens, Paul in Acts 17 goes to Athens, he's hanging out here in the Greek capital, and uh, he runs across someone as he's preaching the gospel, uh, who is from this like Mensa type group, uh, they hang out all these philosophers and teachers, they hang out in this place called the Eropagus. And uh, this member of the, of, the, of the think tank says, Paul, you've got to come and share this stuff with my friends tomorrow. They're, they're going to eat this stuff up. And so Paul shows up. And if you ever read Acts 17, it's this great sermon. Paul starts with something that everybody in his audience knows about. He says, hey, y'all. I was walking around yesterday, I saw all the statues of your many deities, all of your gods and your pantheon, and then I saw this one statue, it says, a statue to an unknown God. He says, I would love to tell you who that unknown God is. He's actually the only true God, and he starts in, he talks about how God doesn't live in, in, in temples made by men's hands, he doesn't need us, even though he loves us, that in him we live and move and have our being. It's all in this one sermon, it's amazing. He comes to the end, he's starting to talk about Jesus and he says that this Jesus came and lived among us and he, he died and then he rose again. And look what it says in verse 32, it kind of cuts it off there and it says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some, what? They persecuted him. I'm out, you're crazy. No one rises from the grave. This guy's an idiot. That's going to happen in your life when you live out loud for Jesus. Jesus. Some people are going to look at you like you're crazy. You might lose some friendships for a time. But understand, as you live salty, some people get thirsty. Look what the next line says. But others said, hey, I'll take another drink. I'd like to hear more about that. Maybe you can come by tomorrow, same time. And so Paul leaves, and we don't know, maybe he got another crack at those guys, right? But then get this. In that group, as Paul shared the gospel, there were some who the Holy Spirit had been preparing for this moment so that just somebody who knows Jesus would lay down some salt. And they would respond. Look what it says. But some men joined Paul and believed like he believed in Jesus, among whom uh, were also this guy Dionysius, who was an Oropagate or Arapagite, however you say that. Uh, he was a member of the Benta. He was a member of the group. And, the, and a woman named Damaris, who comes up later in the story of Scripture, she became integral in the development of other church. I mean, this is how it happens. Think about your story. Someone laid down the salt in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you chose him. And so now, even if your title does not include pastor or reverend or whatever, you and I, all of us, are the salt of the earth for others. Be careful not to overdo it. This is for some in here. We're going to get all inspired, and you're going to post up on your neighbor's front lawn this, morning, this afternoon with a bullhorn as they're trying to watch the Bucks game, and you're going to say, I'm not going away until you trust Jesus! <laughs> Slow your roll, cowboy, right? We don't need to be just taking this whole thing out and just pouring it all in one spot. That's some of us. The overwhelming majority of us, though, here's my tip for you. Don't underdo it. Don't underdo it. We're kind of at a crossroads in the American church. Uh, We've gone through this season. This didn't make the first service, uh, but this is just my heart. We've gone through this season where people have been Made to stay at home and gotten used to watching online. It's great to have you. We're still kind of in this season where everybody's wondering, should I hang out in groups and crowds and stuff like that? And, and, and thank God there's all these technologies that make it able, you know, possible for us to connect in different ways. It's awesome, right? But just like every other development, there, in my opinion, is this insidious dark side of these kinds of developments. What, what all these opportunities are doing for some is it's making um, Christianity kind of this optional thing. This in the background thing, where I, you know, rarely really give my heart and mind to what's going on. I just kind of have it as a part of my life. This is the beginning. Everybody understands. Chuck Colson wrote about this. The guy was in Watergate and others like him. But they, they, uh, Francis Schaefer, I think, was the originator. But, but, but his, the quote is this essentially, I'm going to butcher it, but he, he says this the greatest threat to Christians are Christians. Our greatest threat is not from without, it's from within. It's from salt stopping its saltiness. It's from light growing dim. It's from those who follow Christ kind of fading away. What Satan wants more than anything is to take Christians who lived out loud for Jesus, salty for Jesus for a long time, and discourage them and dissuade them and delude them into falling away from him because that speaks louder than any atheist book or any uh, agnostic podcast. If a Christian falls away, other people who saw them said, see, it doesn't work. And so the, man, the importance of us Remaining vibrant in Christ, salty, is all the more so important. That's why Jesus says, as we're reminded to stay salty, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Some people have taken this text and used it to describe why they think people can lose their salvation. I don't personally believe that. Whom God saves, God saves. I don't have the choice in flipping that around. But I will say this, he's, he's certainly talking about the fact that we who are meant to be salty can kind of cease in our saltiness. And when we do, we're of no eternal value to God. Does everybody get that? Our lives won't register for an eternity because we didn't do anything with him, for him, by his, by his grace, in his name, because we just weren't concerned about being salty. I'll just show up. I'll get mine. My, my family will get theirs, and we'll just go back to our home, and we'll, we'll never invest what God has given us in the world outside of us. In fact, it'll be even better if we can just kind of find a bunch of other Christians like that and we'll just form entire enclaves of salty people being salty on each other inside, you know, the the greater salt box, which is the church, and make no eternal impact on those who desperately need to reverse the curse of their sinful decay. You have probably heard this somewhere before, but if you're kind of new to this passage, the reason that Jesus says that you know unsalty salt is only good to be thrown under feet was because back in those days, the Roman Empire, as they were building the Roman Empire, would build these massive roads. It's one of the things they were most famous for. They connected all of their territories through the roads that they would build. And, and so uh, certainly in that era, uh, you would have a need for salt. And so they would go uh, in Israel to one of the saltiest bodies of water on the earth. It's called the Dead Sea called dead because there's absolutely nothing in it. The water's too salty for anything to live inside this big puddle. And so they draw water out of the Dead Sea. They would boil it down until it was just salt in some forms and then salty minerals in other forms. They had figured out a way to actually refine things to the point where they could get the most salt out of the Dead Sea water. And uh, on the floor after that process would be all these rocks and minerals that were still very salty, but Mostly devoid of the salt that had been refined, it was that rocky kind of you know uh, crushed millings type uh, material that went into building the roads around Jerusalem and around uh, you know the rest of the Roman Empire. They would use this stuff because it was hard and you could pack it down, but it also had just the the, the tiniest hint of salt, and that tiny hint of salt would actually act like ancient roundup. It would kill all the vegetation that would grow up in the road otherwise if it had just been dirt. And so here's, like I don't wanna overplay this, but if that's true, here's, here's one of the implications of that. If you and I refuse to be salty or lose our saltiness, then we're only good to be thrown underfoot and trampled and, and, and the greater negative is that because we have a little bit of saltiness, but not enough to really make an impact, that little bit of saltiness all actually does spiritual damage. People look at unsalty Christians and they're like, there's nothing different in them. I don't have to do anything with Jesus. I'm better than that guy. And they turn their hearts away from him and his message. Huh. Oh, that that might never be said of us. Right, we never lose our saltiness. You know how you lose your saltiness, right? Anybody ever put too much salt in something that you're eating? How do you get rid of that saltiness? You just add whatever you're eating to it, right? Here's the deal. The the picture there is this. We were brought to a world or sent to a world to be salty. And if if we're doing that right, then, then Man, we're, we're highlighting the truth. We're, we're, we're exposing people to truth. We're drawing them out of their decay and into the truth, right? But if we got too much of them in our saltiness, if we got too much of the world in our mix, then what does that do? It just decreases our saltiness. Just like a bunch of potatoes added to your over-salted potatoes brings things back down. Are you with me? Maybe not. <laughs> Some of you are like, are we going to get to the light? No, settle down. Don't worry about it. Let me close with this. Jesus is saying, be the salt, pass the salt, be the light. I'm not going to get to all that, but but shine brightly in a dark world that's dying and decay. Do those things. Knowing that it's going to stay, or it's going to be difficult to stay salty. It's going to be difficult to not go dim. Stay salty. How do we stay salty? It's hopefully happening right now. You got one of these at home? Who uses salt at home? Anybody? Some of you, it's a no-no now because of your whatever diagnosis. But uh, um, this gets emptied at my house. That's why in our cupboard, we have this. And when this goes empty, what do we do? ha right? And we just keep doing that. Does everybody understand what's happening right now? You're this. Hopefully you've been going around in life and just taking Jesus with you wherever you go, but maybe you're a little bit run down. Maybe your salt level's down here. You know what every Sunday's about? Come on in. We're going to sing praises to God, and that's going to fill you up. We're going to preach God's word, and that's going to fill you up. Then you go to your life group. You're like, I don't want to go to life group. You need to go to life group, because if you keep doing this, you're going to run low. And so you go hang out with those other couples like I'm going to do here in the next hour as I go to lunch with them, and you reload. And some of you have never been discipled. You've never gone beyond sitting in a room like this once, twice a month. You need to find someone in our, in our body who will sit down with you and maybe for the first time show you what it is to truly be the salt of the earth and to grow in your relationship with him. Can I just say this real quick? That'll require some of us who aren't disciplers yet to step up and disciple people that we may not even know. But I went to a funeral this past Tuesday of a young guy who's now moved off to Colorado. His mom died and he came back and he, man, I wasn't even necessary. This son on one of the hardest days of his life just preached the most awesome funeral message ever. He testified of his faith in Jesus Christ. Sitting in the front row was our guy, Larry who had discipled my boy Chad for a year, year and a half, to the point that he had grown in his faith to this level where he could testify about Jesus at his mom's funeral. That's how this works. Other salt bearers pour into those who need to be more salty. And just listen, from from my perspective as a follower of Jesus Christ who gets to lead in a church and certainly in life groups, and I get to disciple some of my friends, I wouldn't miss that for the world. You know why? Because the whole time that I'm pouring myself out to people, guess who's pouring himself into me? My Savior. I learn things from the guys in my life group, from the dudes that I've disciple. That I, I just I have to hear it right then. And if I wasn't in that situation, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Hmm. Stay salty. Pass the salt, shine the light and stay lit. If I had time, I'd read this to you. <laughs> Matthew five fourteen says this, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Just real quick, you know what that means? You don't just shine, you shine bright enough to be seen from far away by people who don't even know you. You're like a beacon, in the darkness that is our world, right? And then what's the the next line? We all know it. We were taught it uh, when we were little kids, that song. I mean, this is is my first memory of church. Put them up. Everybody got them? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. That was supposed to symbolize the lamps of the day, which would be lit at night. That's the light that Jesus is talking about. What's the next verse say? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under what? A basket, but they put it on a stand. It's like a city is on a hill and it gives light to all in the house. What happens when I take a basket and put it over the light. Can't see it, right? But uh, last service told me I need more time for this illustration, because I'm I'm gonna tell you right now, probably that light's still lit, yeah. But if I leave this thing here, what's eventually gonna happen? Who's been to science class? Yeah, all the oxygen's gonna go out of there and that that light can't stay lit. Does everybody get that? Jesus made a profound statement there. If you're not burning bright, if you're hiding your light in the world that you live in at work, with your family at Thanksgiving or Christmas, with your friends at school, just so you know, if you're not shining bright like a city on a hill, if you're not up on a, on a stand in the house where everybody can see you, you are at, at risk of not only taking from those around you the light that they so desperately need. Let's see. But eventually the longer you spend covert under the basket, the more likely it is that your light goes out. So it is then that you and I burn bright for Jesus, that you and I unapologetically season the world around us because we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world you're wondering why is he holding these up because i know it's covid you may not want these but i got you guys each a salt packet and a christmas tree bulb and my hope is is that you'll take both of these and you'll put them in your pocket if that's where you you know you know put your keys or your hand you know frequents as far as finding stuff and that during the week as you're remembering what we talked about today that you'd feel the the sharp points of this little bulb. I didn't know those were gonna come this way, but uh, but but that would just remind you. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Somebody need to put this next to your carriage as you get your coffee every morning to be reminded. Somebody need to put it on your dresser, put it on, you know, your, your sink in your bathroom. I don't care. Put it wherever you're gonna see this so that you can remember what Jesus told this ragtag bunch of early followers. He said, Hey man, here's the blessed life. Seven things. Here's what that's going to produce, persecution. But here's why it's worth it. Because you're my plan to save the world. You are the only hope for humanity. You need to be the salt. You need to be my light so that others may know me too. Can I pray for us? Stand with me as we close. God in heaven, we recognize that in this life um, we have um, been made by you and for you and that by your grace, many of us are sitting here right now and we have by faith received you uh, through Christ and his work on the cross. Um, There's some who haven't done that yet and my simple prayer for them is that they would man, they'd become salt and light today with us and that they'd put their faith in you and get their questions answered. Maybe someone here is gonna be their salt and their light in that regard and they're gonna find you today. If they wanna come up and talk to us in the corner, I'd love for that, God. So if that's you, I'm praying about you, I'm praying for you, find and follow Jesus. But there's so many of us here, God, who have already done that. And here is the inertia of life. It's for us to lose our saltiness and make other things matter more. It's for us to grow dim in our, in our desire for you, our vibrance for you. And, and, and man, that's just that's what life does to us, God. So f- forgive us for when that's happened. And then, Lord, I am begging you, please, for your church called Bay Life, make us salty as we can be and as bright as we can be. Help us to, um, to, to shine for you in the worlds that we're about to re enter. And by your names, or for your name's sake, we will live. And for your glory, we pray that we see others know you and follow you. That's my prayer this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. God bless you as you go.